0: Take your Bible and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, we'll read verses 8 through 14 in just a moment. Before we do, I want to share with you the story of a a man that lived uh, some centuries ago. His name was, uh, he was a bishop, his name was Hugh Latimer. And he was a man of, of really tremendous courage. If you ever get the chance to read about Bishop Hugh Latimer l-a-t-i-m-e-r do it the reason this man was uh, so courageous and so bold is because he had fear in his life that might sound silly how could someone who be considered courageous or bold if he had fear well the deal is that he feared the right thing he feared god and his fear of god superseded everything else when you fear god properly and you understand your condition before him and his mercy toward you and that he uh, is the only one ultimately that you need to obey then all of your fear of mankind and of sickness and of everything that might come upon you else uh, from elsewhere in the world it dissipates and so he had a tremendous fear and respect of god and his authority latimer's boldness was seen for example in one encounter that he had with king henry the eighth Now, you might have to go back in your memory banks to remember uh, everything that you were taught about King Henry VIII, and if you don't know about King Henry VIII, well, for this story, all you need to really know is that he had a habit of outliving the wives that he had. Um, In fact, if he couldn't get an annulment from a wife, he would uh, have that wife's existence... uh, Short circuited, we might say. Uh, it was sort of an amazing thing, really. But in King Henry VIII, uh he had a, not, a lot of uh, extramarital affairs as well. And that's where Bishop Hugh Latimer entered the scene. On New Year's Day, the custom at the time was for important men who might gain an audience with the king to go into the king's presence and give the king an expensive gift but one year latimer presented king henry with the new testament and one of the pages only one page was folded down inside that new testament and the one page that was folded down it was folded down to hebrews chapter 13 verse 4 which reads in part in that translation whoremongers and adulterers god will judge Well, that kind of act might have cost King Henry his life. But the king happened to not be angry, but admired Latimer's courage. Latimer had a devotion to fear God and to keep God's commands. Nothing else mattered to him. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 8 through 14... The book ends with the preacher saying this vanity of vanities all is vanity verse 9 in addition to being a wise man the preacher also taught the people knowledge and he pondered and searched out and arranged many proverbs the preacher sought to find delightful words and to write words of truth correctly the words of wise men are like goads And masters of these collections are like well-driven nails. They're given by one shepherd. But beyond this, my son, be warned. The writing of many books is endless, and excessive devotion to books is wearying to the body. The conclusion, when all has been heard, is, fear God and keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden whether it is good or evil today we're going to see what it's like to actually live according to God's word and this passage tells us what that is like because this passage describes for us the word of God in a very practical way God's word tells us that our bodies are corruptible our bodies get sick our bodies decay things go wrong with our bodies verse 8 says vanity of vanities says the preacher all is vanity the book of Genesis tells us that after God created the body of man from the dust of the ground that he breathed life into the man the breath of life that was given to man was man's spirit it is the spirit of man that god breathed into him and when we die scripture says that that living breath of god the spirit of man within us will return to our creator james chapter 2 verse 26 says for just as the body without the spirit is dead so also faith without works is dead think about that a body whose spirit has left it's a dead body and James says that's the way your faith is if you don't have any works to back it up in Luke chapter 23 verse 46 it has a vivid description of when Jesus died on the cross scripture says that Jesus died on the cross to pay for the sins of all of mankind and if we trust in him then we will have our sins forgiven and we will have reconciliation with God in Luke twenty-three, forty-six, it says that Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. And so when Jesus died on the cross, it was more than simply a crime committed against him. It was more than simply a bad, tragic thing that happened. But Jesus willingly gave up his spirit. It was an act that Jesus committed with his will with his volition jesus gave his spirit up and committed it to the father a body without a spirit is a dead body in acts chapter 7 verse 59 stephen was being stoned to death for spreading the gospel in a very bold way and that verse says they went on stoning stephen As he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And so scripture is very clear from the very beginning to the very end of scripture that God breathed the spirit of man into man and gave him life. And when we die, our spirit goes back and returns to the Lord. In this verse that we're looking at, in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 8, vanity of vanities all is vanity the preacher solomon the preacher is reiterating the theme of the book of ecclesiastes and what he's saying is this that on the surface it seems that everything you do in life is vain it seems like everything that you do in life is worthless solomon's been looking at this apparent vanity of life at very numerous different angles And so whatever it is you consider doing, whatever it is that you consider important, you know, football season's about to begin. Dallas Cowboys are about to start playing football and all of our favorite colleges, we have the greatest hopes for all of our favorite colleges playing football. In the end, does it really matter? A hundred years from now, when we're all dead and gone, will it really matter what happened in the upcoming days for football season? No you think about any other thing in life you think about all the money you might make does it really matter in the end a hundred years from now when you're dead and gone does it really matter how much money you made not at that point not to you you think about all the things that we consider important and we have to agree with Solomon on the surface it looks like it's all in vain what's the point the rich man and the poor man both die and go to the same grave so it's worthless to make wealth your life's pursuit the same thing can be said of any type of pleasure every other type of worldly pursuit even if you consider yourself to be incredibly altruistic and you're able to uh, do things in such a way that would outlive yourself you're able to build a great business or a great kingdom that would outlive yourself even if you pursue those things that it might outlive yourself that might benefit a generation that follows you even that could be in vain because you don't know what's going to happen to the things that you built it will be left in the hands of people who follow you and they might destroy it or cast it aside logic dictates that the only thing worthy of pursuing in this life is whatever will benefit you for all eternity. If you could find something that would benefit you for all eternity, that would be the thing you should pursue in this life. And so it seems like everything on this earth is vanity. But we've got to remember there's more than just what's on this earth. We must not forget the invisible God because He is always present. He is always just. He is always right. And the only way to receive benefit throughout eternity is to believe in Him and devote yourself to Him. You see, your earthly body is corruptible, it's affected by sin, it's affected by sickness, it's affected by death. But for the Christian, for the one who trusts in the Lord and in his son whom he sent that person will be gloriously resurrected one day the Bible says that if you believe in Christ you will be given an incorruptible immortal resurrected body your dead, lifeless, spiritless body will once again be renewed it will be recreated it will be given a spirit once again your resurrected body will be absolutely immortal it will never get sick it will never die in first corinthians chapter 15 verse 53 it says for this perishable talking about our bodies this perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality you know if there was nothing more than this life then we would be forced to conclude that everything is in fact vain and worthless but if you believe in Jesus death is not the end death is not the end that same chapter in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 54 and 55 say then will come about the saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory oh death where is your victory oh death where is your sting the only person that can say death where is your victory death where is your sting is the person who has the absolute assurance that death will not be the final word death is simply the final enemy that Christ has conquered and someday we'll experience the fullness of a resurrected body God's word is the truth that you and I need to know verse 9 says in addition to being a wise man the preacher also taught the people knowledge and he pondered searched out and arranged many proverbs solomon the preacher actually set a standard for those who would teach the bible for those who would preach the bible if you're going to be someone who would share god's word with others solomon tells you right here how to do it it says first that he pondered this means that he asked questions that other people miss he doesn't just let things go and he reads something in scripture and say well that's just confusing i'll just sort of blow past it and and uh, not even give it any consideration no if god said it in his word it must be important enough to figure out and so the bible teacher must pursue to the best of his ability even as, even as faulty as we are with the, the way that we think sometimes and as far removed as we are from when, actually, when scripture was actually written we must do our very best and our, be very diligent to understand and ask the right kinds of questions to ponder what scripture means there are a great many mysteries in God's word but that should not discourage us from seeking The word of God because it it is the very voice of God it is the very thought of God as he wanted to communicate himself and his revelation of his truth to mankind it says that he pondered and he searched out a Bible teacher should not be satisfied with surface knowledge Uh, a best guess sometimes maybe all that we can do if we're really truly stumped but it shouldn't be good enough it shouldn't be our standard to just sort of suppose maybe this is what scripture means a good bible teacher should study every passage carefully he should use his best knowledge and every tool at his disposal to make a proper interpretation he should evaluate what other learned men have taught about that same scripture and evaluate their conclusions solomon says that he arranged many proverbs you know when enough information about whatever passage of scripture you're studying is gathered then you can lay it out in an orderly fashion you know in my own unique or weird way of thinking i've always considered bible study to be as i've looked back on how i how i study scripture it seems to me that i take the word of god and i break it down and I try to understand every angle that I can of a passage of scripture and then I reassemble it in such a way that's understandable and applicable to people that live two millennia later in a very different culture and so it's a challenge to bridge that gap but the end result of a bible teacher's task must be the presentation of God's word that is true and consistent with the original context of the passage. And so we have to be careful. There's a reason, Scripture says, let not many of you become teachers because you'll be held to a higher account. We have to be careful with the Word of God. Verse 10 says, The preacher sought to find delightful words and to write words of truth carefully. The idea of having delightful words means that the preacher must carefully seek the best way to teach God's word he must use words of truth when communicating the word of God he must personally believe everything that he teaches when you're a bible teacher whether it's a small group or a larger congregation whatever situation you might be or even teaching someone at work or teaching a child or a grandchild uh, God's word you've got to believe what you teach and so it's a challenge when you're studying scripture because you come across things that will step on your toes things that will expose how you've fallen short God's word anchors the truth in our hearts in our minds look at verse 11 It says the words of wise men are like goads and masters of these collections are like well-driven nails. They are given by one shepherd. I don't know the last time that you ever used a goad. If you did, you're probably a farmer or a rancher. Um, But uh, uh, this verse actually describes what the preacher intends to accomplish. A goad is a rod and it has at the end of the rod iron spikes or uh, sharpened ends and you've seen those perhaps you've seen uh, different types of tools that you'd use in in the garden to dig up the soil and it has spikes on the end think of something like that except this is used to poke your cow this is used to prod your ox to get that ox to go in the direction that you want it to go Saul of Tarsus he resisted God. And Jesus came to him in a miraculous way, in a, in a, in a very unique way, and blinded him on the, on the road to Damascus. And, and uh, Saul didn't know what was going on, and a voice came from heaven, and it was Jesus speaking in Hebrew. And Jesus said to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. What in the world does that mean? It means that Jesus... It was as if Jesus had a goad, this stick with, with this rod with the pointy iron endpoints that, and he was trying to get Saul to go in a certain direction. And all Saul wanted to do was kick against the goad. Who's going to get hurt there? Saul is. Saul was kicking against the goads. Finally, Saul gained relief when he submitted This verse talks about how the Word of God, when it's in the hands of a good Bible teacher, it is like a goad. A good Bible teacher will use God's Word to drive people into the presence of God. You see, if your heart is receptive, the Word of God will light a fire under you. It will make you reflect. It will cause you to act. It will keep you from making bad decisions. It will show you the right way to live. If you're receptive, if you're not and you're exposed to the Word of God, it will be like a goad and it will be painful. But nevertheless, the standard remains the same. There's a way in which God wants you to live. In Psalm 119, verse 105, it says, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The Word of God is very effective. But false teachers, we we'll use God's holy word for unholy purposes. that we we'll use God's word to destroy someone's life. Then we we'll use God's word to denigrate people. that we we'll use God's word to drive people to despair. Holding up an impossible standard that no one can ever seem to reach. And they'll use God's word to guilt people. Guilt people into benefiting the false teacher somehow either through money or through some type of sexual favors or whatever other thing the false teacher is using the word of god for but a good bible teacher his simple desire is to show god show god's people how God's way of living is so much greater than man's and you make your own decision how you want to live in life But the word of God will guide you in the right direction. If you want to resist God's word, it will be like a painful goad upholding the right way to live. Verse 11 says that masters of these collections are like well-driven nails. We know what a nail is. We're more familiar with that than a goad. A well-driven nail is something that secures two items together. You want to hang something on your wall? You put a nail, and you hang it into the wall. You nail it into the wall, and it hangs it on the wall. You need to put two pieces of wood together, you get a nail or a screw, and it keeps those pieces of wood together. It secures one thing to another. What's Solomon saying? He's saying a good Bible teacher secures the truth of God's Word firmly into the minds and hearts of God's people. If you have a receptive heart, and you're not kicking against the goads and you're submitting to God's word then God's word the more you expose yourself to God's word the more it will be implanted into your heart, implanted into your mind and you'll benefit from it. The psalmist said in Psalm 119 verse 11 your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. Solomon says that they are given by one Shepherd, they're given by one shepherd. These goads, these well-driven nails, these teachings from the Word of God, they have one ultimate source, and it is our shepherd. You see, God's truth is not just the preacher's truth. It's given by one shepherd. If you come to church on Sunday and you hear me simply doing nothing more than spouting my opinions, then I've failed you, and you've wasted your time. It is my job as an under-shepherd to simply tell you what the great shepherd has said in his word. The word of God is given by one shepherd and it's not me, it's not any other human preacher. It is the great shepherd. It is the Lord. And when a Bible teacher speaks, he is to speak with authority that is given to him from God. God's word also is the truth above all the teachings of man verse 12 Solomon writes but beyond this my son be warned the writing of many books is endless and excessive devotion to books is wearing to the body you know it seems like everybody has advice these days everybody's an expert everybody has a book or everybody has a platform." upon which they can spew whatever kind of opinion that they have on politics or religion or anything else. In fact, that's what social media really is. It's simply a platform, a little platform, that you can stand upon and you can yell as loud as you wish. And all of your followers can hear whatever you've said, see whatever recipe you've shared or any other kind of truth or falsehood, That you've given. Everyone's an expert these days. Everyone has advice. And there are philosophies of life that are the newest and best way of living. A few years ago, The Secret came out. Everyone's going to read the book about The Secret. And guess what? Once you read the book about The Secret, by definition, it's no longer a secret. Uh, And so something new has to come along to replace The Secret. And something new will come along after that. Everyone has a a new way of looking at life because everybody is a great philosopher, apparently. Every few years or every few months, something new comes along, and it's the newest, greatest thing. But a long time ago, the Apostle Paul, in some of the last words that he ever wrote that we know of, he wrote these words. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. You can get all the books in the world. You can go down to the library and check out every book you can find and you can read every opinion that you can come across and none of it will ever measure up to a book that you already have in your possession which is the Bible it is the word of God the word of God is so easily in our possession that you don't even have to have a physical Bible you can get it on your phone or your tablet or on the internet it is such an easy possession for us to obtain that even if you can't read you can have a Bible today Technology has made it available for audio uh, books or audio Bibles to be granted to us so that we can have it read to us, some of it even in dramatic fashion with a storm in the background as Jesus walked along the waters. The Word of God is available to each person. The words of the shepherd are above all other words. There might be new innovations, there might be new technologies, there might be new scientific discoveries. It seems like there's everything new. Even this morning I heard about how scientists want some African farmers to wear on their, on their wrists a special band that can show what kind of chemicals that they've been exposed to. It's an incredible technology. There might be new things here and there But beneath it all, the human experience has always been the same. There's nothing new really under the sun. And because the human existence and experience is universal and timeless, that means the Word of God is universal and timeless. In 1 Peter chapter 1, we read, For you have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring Word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. God's word endures forever. And his word teaches us the goal of life, to fear God and to keep his commandments. Verse 13 says, The conclusion when all has been heard is, Fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to every person. To fear God and keep his commandments applies to the most famous person that you can think of and it applies to the lowest person that you don't even know about. To fear God and keep his commandments applies to the wealthiest and to the poorest. It applies... To the wise person, it applies to the person who's not very smart. To fear God and to keep his commandments. If you want to live a wise life, you start by fearing God. Psalm 110 verse 11 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. What's that mean to fear God? To fear God, properly understood, means that you reverently submit to Him. It means that you see yourself in light of His holiness and His righteousness, and you've found yourself to be lacking. You have fallen short, and you know it. And therefore, you call out to God to have mercy on you. And He hears your prayer. And he reconciles you to himself through Christ. Oswald Chambers wrote, the remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Earlier in this message, I told you about Bishop Hugh Latimer. What a bold man he was because he feared God. On another occasion... He was preaching in his church, and King Henry was in the audience. And Latimer spoke his mind very plainly that day, and King Henry was not amused. He was very upset about it. The whole sermon displeased Henry. And so after the message, Hugh Latimer was commanded to preach again on the next Sunday. And to make an apology for offending the king. And so, when that next Sunday arrived, after Latimer read the text from God's word, he began his sermon like this Hugh Latimer, do you know before whom you are this day to speak? To the high and mighty monarch, the king's most excellent majesty, who can take away your life if you offend him. Therefore, take heed that you speak not a word that may displease him. But then you consider well, do you not know from whom you come, upon whose message you are sent, even the great and mighty God, who is all present and able to cast your soul into hell? Therefore, take care that you deliver your message, Faithfully. The crowd wanted Latimer to fear the king. But Latimer feared the true king. And he preached his message with boldness. He was faithful to the end. So faithful that he was actually burned at the stake in 1555. The end of man is to fear God and obey His commands. Why? Why should that be your goal? To fear God and to obey His commands? Why does the Word of God tell you that that should be your end? To fear God and to keep His commands. Here's why. Because judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. Verse 14 says, for God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. Sometimes I've had Christians ask me, Do you think on Judgment Day that God is going to sort of replay our life, even the hidden parts of our life, so that everybody can see every little thing that we even did in secret? And the idea is, I sure hope not, that'll be embarrassing. And I've always wondered, who cares about what anyone else thinks? God already knows. God already knows. We are to fear him. Charles Spurgeon once said, The eternity of punishment is a thought which crushes the heart. The Lord God is slow to anger. But when he is once aroused to it. As he will be against those who finally reject his son. He will put forth all his omnipotence. To crush his enemies. God has given us. A brief moment in time. To turn away from our sin. And to trust the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation today is the day for salvation today is the day of God's mercy if you wait it may be too late